tonight um, we have um, our main speaker is Janine, who's going to speak about um, Minnie Lansbury for about 20 minutes. And I think she's got some slides to share for us. And then we've got a special treat of, um, Celine, of listening to Selena afterwards, who is the great niece of Minnie Lansbury. Yeah. So, um, so looking forward to that as well. So Janine will speak for about 20 minutes and Selena for about 10. And then we'll have questions and contributions, plenty of time for contributions and discussion. Good evening, everyone. Um, thank you for coming along to um, listen to me talk about my political hero. And I'm hoping that uh, by the time I've told you all about her, then uh, if she's not your new political hero, then at least you'll understand um, why she's mine um, as very inspiring person. I'm going to talk you through this PowerPoint. So let's tell you all about Brilliant. Right, let's tell you all about Minnie then. Okay, Minnie. Apparently, the, well, there are various uh, meanings of the name Minnie, but the one I reckon is uh, is most suitable for this one is Revel. Um, it's uh, a, a famili familiar name of the of the uh, a Hebrew name, um, which means rebel. And as you can see from that, uh, well, you probably can't see from that birth certificate because it's a little bit small. Um, she was born in 1889. Um, born in 1889 in East London, and she was the second child of Isaac Glassman and Annie Goodkin. So Isaac and Annie Glassman. Uh, she had an older sister, Selina, who is Selina's grandmother, and then uh, younger sisters and two younger brothers as well. And somewhere in there also, there was um, there was a baby who died, uh, tragically, but not at all unusually um, in that era. Uh, okay, so Minnie's parents to my best guess, having researched it as much as I can, um, came from this place, a place called Zakrotsim, uh, which is uh, about 30, 35 kilometers from Warsaw in what is now Poland, but uh, which was then Polish Russia. And Zakrotsim, which means river crossing, it was a town uh, with a very significant Jewish population. And what happened during the latter part of the 19th century is that the Tsarist regime in Russia um, very severely rep repressed its Jewish population. So uh, Jews were banned from various areas of public life. They were forced into um, jobs doing financial transactions and kind of bailiff type jobs. Um, interesting that that lives on in the modern day anti-Semitic stereotype um, on connecting Jews with money. Um, it's not a modern day stereotype at all. It's got deep historical roots. And they would, the, the Russian state conscripted Jewish kids, like early teenagers, into the army and their families often never saw them again. They banned Hebrew being spoken, um, etc, etc. And then um, following the assassination of Tsar Alexander by a group of people, which include one Jewish person, um, that was taken as a pretext for a wave of anti-Semitic pogroms across uh, um, this area. And tens of thousands of Jewish families fled and headed towards Britain and towards America. And so Isaac and Annie Glassman were among those who fled with their little baby Selina. And they arrived in East London. And arriving in East London, Isaac... Uh, took up work as a boot finisher. Now, boot finisher was real casualised labour. Boots at the time were handmade and there was like different jobs for each stage of the boot making. And as, as you can guess from the word finisher, um, he did the bit that was the last stage. 
But when I say this was casualised, this would involve um, hanging out on Whitechapel Market um, in, in a hire parade to get picked to see if you even got any work uh, that week. So as boot finishing kind of came under threat as an occupation as things got more mechanised, and presumably wanting a more stable um, income for himself and his family, Isaac uh, then became a coal dealer. And so they're living in, they're living in Whitechapel in East London. A lot of the historical records refer to it as being a coke dealer, which is apparently still quite a popular profession in those parts. But yeah, joking aside, he was um, a, a, a man with a, with a horse and cart, the equivalent then of a, of a man with a van, going around um, selling coal and coke to households and companies. Um, unfortunately, and so he, the, the Glassman family were part of a, a large and compact Jewish, working class Jewish community in East London. And they had, by coming here, I guess, liberated themselves from the, the, the vicious anti-Semitism of the Tsar. But arriving in London, they weren't completely free of anti-Semitism. And uh, Isaac actually was assaulted uh, uh, by two guys who were convicted of the assault, um, which was described in, in the newspaper headline as an unprovoked assault on a Jew. So the Glassman family lived there, Chicksand Street in the east end of London. Um, for those of you familiar with the area, it's just off Brick Lane. Um, and the Glassman kids went to this school. Um, I, I'm presuming that's a photograph of that school after it became derelict and they didn't actually go to a school with broken windows. But that was uh, Chicksand Street Elementary School at the end of their road. And from 1870, um, working class kids of uh, only of primary school age started getting compulsory state-provided education for the first time, and a load of schools were built, and this was one of them. But after a few years, um, Minnie left this school and went to this school. And this school is the Jews Free School, where her older sister, uh, um, Selina, was already going. And the Jews Free School was located in Bell Lane, which is about a 10-minute walk to the west of where they lived, near Liverpool Street Station, in one of the most run-down and um, overcrowded parts of London. It was, by all accounts, the single largest school in the world at the time. Uh, approximately 4,000 Jewish kids attended this school every day. Um, and it was a school whose ethos was about anglicising Jewish kids. They didn't let the kids speak Yiddish, um, which is the language they'd have spoken at home. They didn't let them speak that in school. Um, and they wanted them to integrate into English society. Now, come the age of 12 or 13, uh, Minnie would have been expected to just stop education and, you know, get a job or, or go into service or work with the family firm, as they did have a family firm, a Coke dealership. Um, but she had different ideas. So at that time, that's when your compulsory free state education finishes. And you can only carry on to what we call secondary school um, if you've got a grant. And grants are available from the London County, well, or, or if you're rich, obviously, but they weren't rich. And grants are available from the London County Council, um, but only to kids who were already in London County Council schools. And Minnie wasn't. She was in the Jews Free School, which was a, a, a charitably funded school. But eventually she got herself a grant from a, a, a charitable, charitable body called the Butler Trust. And she ended up going to this school here, which is the Coburn School on Bow Road in, in East London. 
And the building it was in is actually now the building that houses um, Central Foundation Girls School, for those of you who are familiar with East London. And while she was there, Minnie decided that what she wanted to be was a school teacher. So she became what was called a pupil teacher. Um, she studied, you know, that, which was a new system that had been brought in to make sure teachers were trained properly and uh, good at teaching as well as, as doing their knowledge. And then uh, having passed all her relevant exams there, she moved on to study, to qualify to be a teacher at Goldsmiths College. And there is her name on the admissions list there. Um, and after a couple of years at Goldsmiths College, so Goldsmiths College is a new cross. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of imagining her traveling by steam train from Whitechapel to New Cross. On, on, on what is now the uh, London Overground East, East London route. Um, after a couple of years there, she graduated as a teacher, um, but there was a real problem with teacher unemployment at the time. Uh, it was described by a, a kind of maverick liv liberal member of the London Council at the time as uh, the problem was that they'd trained and qualified too many teachers. I suspect actually the problem was that they had 100 kids per class uh, and maybe they needed more classes uh, rather than fewer teachers. So she was unemployed for a year after she graduated, um, but then she eventually got a job in that school there, um, and that's in East London. That's Fairclough Road School. Again, for those of you familiar with East London, it's not called Fairclough Street School anymore. It's called the Harry Gosling School. Uh, it's quite ironic as Harry Gosling crops up in her story later. Um, anyway, so there she is. She's, she's an infant's teacher, and she's doing doing her job and she's being paid less than men are being paid for doing exactly the same job as her in the next classroom to her. Minnie gets involved in the National Union of Teachers and she goes along to um, the East London Teachers Association, still going strong in East London, and she raises her concerns. Um, she becomes a collector for the sub-collector for, for the union at the school. It's a brand new school so the union hasn't really organised there properly yet. And along with uh, other comrades, she, she raises a motion about equal pay for women teachers, only to see it voted down. Um, and in fact, the NUT at the time, not only did it not insist on equal pay for women, it actually submitted pay claims to the employers uh, that included scales that had women paid less than men. So they were actually you know, demanding unequal pay. Um, so she thought maybe she'd have some better luck then if she uh, proposed a motion about votes for women. Because by this time, Minnie, very strong supporter of the suffrage movement, wanting votes for women. One of the important things to remember about Minnie is where she's growing up. So she's growing up in the Jewish East End. Uh, hugely working class area with a very strong labour movement and also a very strong Jewish community, many of whom um, had played political as well as ethnic and religious persecution. So there was lots of lefties amongst them. Um, so, yeah, so she goes and proposes, again with another comrade, a motion about supporting votes for women. Only to see that voted down as well. And that was voted down by people saying it's not a place at the NUT to pass policies on political issues. Um, so if you hear anyone in your union saying, well, we shouldn't get involved in politics, you might remember that that argument has got a long and very dishonourable history. Um, okay, so Minnie gets involved in the East London Federation of the Suffragettes. Now, most of us are taught, or it's certainly taught at schools, that there were two 
kings of the suffragettes. They were the kind of the polite, polite, nice ones who lobbied peacefully. And then there were the militant ones who threw bricks um, and they were led by Emily Pankhurst. But actually it's a little bit more complicated than that because although the ones led by Emmeline Pankhurst were more militant, um, they were also quite narrow in their demands. They wanted votes for women on the same terms as votes for men. And at that time, a very large number of working class men didn't have the vote. So actually they weren't campaigning for the enfranchisement of all women because their demand would only have enfranchised a few, uh, which earned them the uh, rather derogatory nickname of votes for ladies. But the East then suffragette movement, led by Emmeline's daughter Sylvia, wasn't like that. It was, uh, it was working class base, it wanted votes for everyone, and that was the movement that Minnie got involved in. Okay, um, then in uh, 20, uh, 20, 1914, she married George Lansbury's son, Edgar. So uh, George Lansbury was the uh, best known socialist in the East End, one of the best known socialists in the country, and one of the best known male supporters of votes for women in the country as well. Um, unfortunately, newly wedded Bliss was rather ruined by a war coming along. And the war started at the beginning of August in 1914. And the East London Federation of the Suffragettes, which Minnie had got involved in, was in a bit of a in a bit of a kind of problem at the time, really, because its leading members like Minnie and like Sylvia Pankhurst and supporters like George Lansbury were against the war. Um, but a lot of the ordinary members were in favour of the war. They got caught up in a kind of jingoism and, and uh, support for the military adventures, etc. So what they decided to do was to not take a position for or against the war, but to carry on campaigning for votes for women, which other suffrage organisations weren't doing, and to do kind of practical community-based work supporting women in the East End who were being made even poorer than they already were by the onset of war and to keep making political points about the impact of war on working class women. So the East London suffragettes did things like they set up a cost price restaurant, they set up a nursery, so that's a picture of the nursery there, and that's a picture of the, um, the blue plaque that is on the site of the nursery there, because it's, a, it's an interesting kind of cute little story here. It used to be a pub called the Gunmaker's Arms because it was around the corner from the munitions factory, um, but when the suffragettes took it over and uh, did it up and reopened it as a daycare centre for babies and toddlers. They renamed it the Mother's Arms. Um, and um, the kind of symbolism of this wasn't, um, wasn't lost on people. And Israel Zangwill, who was a, uh, a socialist Jewish activist in East London at the time, said, the future of the world lies in changing the gunmaker's arms to the mother's arms. Um, and this is what Sylvia Pankhurst had to say about Minnie Lansbury. She said she knew that district and people she was prepared to make herself unreservedly the advocate of the people and to get the best she could for them i always felt i could trust minnie to realize that under the veneer we humans are all very much alike and that the most we could get for our poor was very much less than we all of us need and a wretched makeshift indeed for the social equality and assurance we desire i was more than glad of her aid a dear girl i thought her and think so still though i lost touch with her towards the close of her brief life Okay, so in, uh, so in 1915, maybe, maybe uh, Minnie has had enough of um, bang air against the brick walls of East London Teachers Association meetings. Maybe she's got, had enough of the dreadful conditions working in schools. Maybe she's just got more enthusiastic about the suffragettes. 
um, whatever. What she does is she gives up her job as a school teacher and she becomes a full-time worker for the East London Federation of Suffragettes as assistant secretary. Uh, Sylvia Pankhurst being the secretary. And then at the beginning of 1916, the East London Federation changes its name to the Workers' Suffrage Federation, firstly to emphasise that it wants to vote for all workers, men and women, all working class people, votes for everyone. And secondly, because it's beginning to expand beyond East London, branches are being set up around the country. And there we see it's kind of launch appeal for people to, to join. And, and if you look closer, you can see at the, at the bottom Minnie Lansbury's name um, on that alongside three others. Okay, she, she very much specialised in the war pensions campaigning of the Workers' Suffrage Federation. And after a lot of campaigning, um, campaigners managed to persuade the government to set up uh, a war pensions fund and local committees to administer that fund. And she became a member of that committee. And uh, this is the, uh, a quote from the gloriously named Reverend Henry Kitkat, um, who was chair, the, the chair of the the Poplar War Pensions Committee until Minnie took over from him as the chair. And he said, often at the expense of her strength, she laboured first to help the whole staff of the office in carrying out their duties, but above all, to do all that could be done for the thousands of ex-servicemen. Minnie had a wonderful comprehension of the ever-changing regulations by which the Pensions Committee was governed. And here's a quote from her husband, Edgar Lansbury, who said, although she strove hard to alleviate suffering, she always looked forward to the day when preventable misery and economic injustice this would be no more. And I think this is a really interesting question for us today, uh, which might be one of the things people want to talk about, which is how you balance trying to change the world with alleviating the, the suffering of the people in the world at the moment. Because you don't want to spend all your time helping, helping the victims of capitalism while capitalism just carries on treating people badly and you never get to the root and you never change the system. On the other hand, you don't get much of an audience if you just spend all your time lecturing people on why they need to change the system and never do anything uh, to, to help people with their immediate needs. And so I think for her and for Minnie and her comrades, it was a constant kind of balancing act between those two things. Okay, so as the war went on, people had been told at the start of the war it would be over by Christmas. It wasn't. As the war went on, that patriotic fervour that I referred to earlier kind of died down more and it became a bit easier for people to hold uh, demonstrations calling for peace and at the end of 1916 there was such a demonstration at the East India dock gates and Sylvia was there and Minnie was there and her husband Edgar was there um, and it got attacked by pro-war thugs um, and the police as well and uh, Minnie got arrested well Edgar got arrested and then Minnie got arrested for jogging alongside Edgar while he was being arrested and they and um, Sylvia and a couple of others were up in court the next State, but the charges against Minnie and Edgar uh, were thrown out. So they tried to conscript Edgar Lansbury. He had to appeal against it. He won his appeal. Well, that must have been a very difficult time for them. Okay, then 1917 comes along, Russian Revolution. Everyone in Britain, British Labour movement was really enthused by that. Um, Minnie included. But the Workers' Suffrage Federation, which is now called the Workers' Socialist Federation, split away from the Labour Party and Minnie stayed with Labour. So she, at that point, she and Sylvia parted ways. And in 1920, when the Communist Party of Great Britain was formed, Minnie and Edgar joined it. They were still in the Labour Party. You could be in the Labour Party and the Communist Party at the time. OK. After the war, there was a set of elections. Tory Liberal Coalition won the general elections, called straight after the end of the war. 
But as you went into 1919, newly enfranchised working class voters started voting more in their own interest. They elected more Labour candidates than before for the London County Council and the, and the, the Guardians, who, who ran the poor law. And then they uh, swept the board in the popular uh, borough council elections. And that's a photo of lots of popular borough councillors, newly elected in, uh, at the end of 1919. And they appointed Minnie, circled in red, as one of their aldermen, which was a kind of ranking between councillor and mayor. And they set about doing lots of radical pro-working class things because, as George Lansbury said, Labour councillors must be different from those we have displaced or why displace them. Often tempted to kind of make a postcard out of that quote and send it to all our Labour councillors around the country. Useful reminder. So they did loads of great things with maternity and TB dispensary and housing and stuff electrification, decasualising of work. And there they are in their town hall. There's Millie down there, circled in red. Then they hit a financial crisis, recession, um, and an unfair funding system where basically councils had to raise money from their local populace. So if you're in a poor area, you needed to provide loads of services but had uh, very little resources to tax to do it. So they demanded that rates be equalised, that richer areas put more money in so poorer areas could get more money out. Uh, but that wasn't what the law was. So in the end, rather than go bankrupt or make cuts or put up rates any further, the Poplar Council decided to defy the law and refused to collect the extra bits of rates to hand over to the London County Council and others. Because as uh, Ed Lansbury said, the law and justice are two different things. Okay, so the London County Council took them to court. There was court hearings. This is a, a massive march from the east end of London to the High Court. Um, to hear the case against them, but they were proud to be breaking the law because they said, well, we, look, we either obey the law and take services away from the people who elected us or we defy the law because it's a bad law. Um, okay, because I'm running out of time. I'm not going to play you this video, but I'll play it at the end of your life. Okay, but eventually, so at the end of September in uh, 1921, they get arrested. This is Minnie arriving um, at Poplar Town Hall to be arrested alongside four other women councillors. 25 men councillors were also arrested and taken to Brixton Prison. Huge crowds gathered there to hear them give a speech. As far as I can tell, that's the one and only public speech Minnie Lansbury ever did um, was when she was just about to be arrested. And off they go in the sheriff's car um, to Holloway Prison, where they asked the prison officers to show them their union card and refuse to wear the official badges. Um, but Minnie was soon taken ill and was in the hospital wing. But while she was in prison, she did an interview with a communist uh, newspaper and set out that she actually had a more radical and militant approach to this fight than some of the other councillors did. They were united, but they still had different opinions. Eventually, two other local councils, Stepney and Bethnal Green, voted to defy the law in the same way that Poplar had. And at that point, the government backed down. And on the 12th of October 1921, the councillors were released. They've made no compromise. They had won. There they are outside Brixton Prison. There's Minnie, circled in red. And what they'd won um, was a, a new financial system where the rich boroughs put more in and the poor boroughs got more out. And um, a right-wing Labour MP by the name of Jimmy Thomas, who was General Secretary of the National Union Railwaymen at the time, um, he said, this is a great discouragement to those who believe in constitutional action and a great encouragement to those who believe in revolutionary methods. I completely agree with him, except for the fact that he thought that was a bad thing. Um, there's their celebration rally. 
in Victoria Park. I would really like to be able to end the story here or indeed continue it for about two hours about all the other wonderful things that Minnie Lansbury did in her life. But unfortunately, um, weakened by her time in prison, she caught the flu over Christmas uh, 1921, became pneumonia and she, and she died. There's, there's some medical evidence actually that it was like a fourth wave of the flu epidemic at the end of the First World War. Loads of people, tens of thousands of people attended her funeral because she was much loved by all sections of the working class movement in East London and beyond. Those are some of the tributes to her um, and those are the two relevant books I've written on the subject. Thanks very much, Janine. So we're now going to hear from Selena. Okay, so thank you very much. And it's lovely to be with you all. Uh, and um, uh, as was said, um, uh, Minnie was my great aunt. Her sister, Selena, uh, after whom I'm named, was my grandma. And sadly, I didn't know either of them. They both died long before I was born. My Grandma Selina died in 1939 of cancer. The people who taught me most about Minnie were my two great aunts, Kate and Ray, who you see in this picture, who never married. They're in this picture with their brother Jaime, uh, and they were like kind of surrogate grandparents to me. Um, and they all grew up uh, in this house in uh, Chicksand Street off Brick Lane, um, which is much more famous now for its Bangladeshi restaurants, uh, but was the heart of the Jewish East End um, that uh, you've heard about from Janine. And incidentally, Janine talked to you about um, the little place near Warsaw, where the family came from. Um, I was due to be going to Poland. I've got somebody researching the family in Warsaw. Uh, and the plan was that in September, I was going to be going there. But since COVID and all the rest of it, uh, they haven't been able to do their research and I ain't going to Warsaw in September. But hopefully next year in September, my plan is to go and visit this little town that Janine found for me, uh, although we don't expect to find very much there, but that's the plan. Um, so, um, oops, hang on, what's happening? Uh, right, so here we are moving, um, oh actually, yeah, so the next picture I have is one of uh, Minnie and Edgar um, in their garden in the East End uh, after they were married. She was quite a kind of trendy woman for her time, really. I don't think there were that many women of her time who went around dressed like that. Um, it kind of gives you something of her character. Um, my great aunts that you saw in that first picture had a lovely old desk, which I still have in my house, and it was crammed full of, of pictures. Uh, all about Minnie and when I used to go out to their house they used to regale me with stories uh, all about her and she was my heroine and she affected me very much when I was growing up and my future life I think was very much governed by her. This, this picture uh, shows the little girl is my auntie, my father's sister who was called Ruth um, and uh, my um, grandmother is in this, this picture too um, um, um uh and um uh also uh with them is i think um one of my other great aunties um and i've got a picture here to show you this is my grandmother selena um uh quite a lovely picture uh of her 
Um, oh, that's another one we've got again. Now here, uh, as you were told very briefly by Janine at the end, my great auntie died very tragically on January the 1st from influenza, part of the flu epidemic that kind of killed more people um, at the end of the war uh, across the world than, than had died in the war. And I mean, a pandemic that's so very topical to us today. Uh, and I've got this very tatty um, poster that was there advertised um, a memorial mass meeting that they held in Beau Baths um, after her death. Um, she, although she was born Jewish, she kind of gave up her religion. Um, but interestingly, she was cremated and then her ashes were um, buried in the Jewish cemetery, which was incredibly unusual because uh, in those days, um, the Orthodox Jewish religion didn't recognize um, anything to do with, with cremation. So it was... Um, it was something very unusual um, in those days. And here um, I've got, uh, this is another thing I have, which is the, the mass meeting that they had um, where they, uh, they uh, had poems and various things. And this is an Eleanor Fargen poem that they read out. Now, um, I don't know how many of you know Bo well, but there is a famous clock, which I'm going to show you a picture of in a minute, that was erected uh, in the 1930s in memory of Minnie. And in order to raise the funds to, to build this clock, they had these tiny little cards that used to sell for a penny in aid of the Minnie Lansbury Memorial Fund. And I've still got one of these little cards. Um, uh, and then eventually the clock was built um, in the 1930s, but it rather uh, went uh, into, uh, into disrepair uh, later on. Um, and um, it was on Electric House. It was built in the 1930s. Uh, but in 2007, I learned from the newspaper, The Jewish Chronicle, that the East End Jewish Celebration Society with the Heritage of London Trust were trying to restore the clock. Um, uh, and this photo is at the restoration of the clock, which took place, as you can see, October 2008. We had a rededication ceremony. We were very fortunate. Uh, we got some help from California. Uh, very briefly, the reason it came from California was that after Minnie died, Edgar remarried. He married an actress called Mona McGill, and together they had children. Minnie and Edgar never had any children. They had a daughter and two sons. Edgar himself died in London in 1935 and Mona and her children went off to America and her, the daughter that he had with Mona was called Angela. Angela Lansbury, who some of you may know, uh, became a very famous actress. Uh, and although not in any way directly related to Minnie, she's still been a supporter of hers and she gave money um, towards the restoration of this clock. Um, and people, somehow they didn't know that Minnie had any surviving relatives. I kind of made out myself known to them. My father was still alive in his 90s and he and I went to this uh, and they asked me who I would like to come and kind of cut the ribbon. And I suggested they had Una King, who'd previously been the MP at Bethnal Green and Bow. So she came and, and um, spoke and we had a debate at the Central Foundation Girls School in Bow and we talked about the present day situation for women leaders. So it was a, a fantastic uh, event and here is the clock um, in all its glory. Um, and then there's an extra little bit to the story, very, very briefly. I don't know how I'm doing for time, but we've got one, I've got one little more story to tell you, which goes on to 2018. This is 
um, at the time of, you may recall, that Gillian Waring was asked to produce a statue of Millicent Fawcett, the first woman who ever had um, her statue in Parliament Square. Uh, and this was unveiled on the 24th of April uh, 2018. Um, and uh, at the bottom of uh, Millicent Fawcett's statue are uh, pictures of 54 women and four men who supported women's suffrage. And I was invited to this unveiling. You'll see why in a minute. Unfortunately, I was away on holiday at the time and I couldn't go. Um, but my daughter uh, went. Um, my daughter is the dark haired girl here at the front with the red lipstick. Next to her is her good friend, Georgia Gould, who some of you might recognize, who's the leader of Camden Council. Um, and here is my daughter standing on the statue. And she went very proudly along holding Minnie's uh, picture because if you have a look here there are Minnie and Edgar because they were two of the people honoured to be at the bottom of Millicent Fawcett's statue so if any of you uh, when you now can get to Trafalgar Square uh, and go and have a look at the bottom of Millicent Fawcett's statue you will see Minnie and George Lansbury uh, at the bottom of Millicent Fawcett's um, statue so there we are brings the story up to date. <laughs> 